0: Welcome to episode 21 of the Shanna plan. We are at the end of the road for the regular season. 49ers dropped their final game to the Seahawks, blew a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter. There were five touchdowns. That was the excitement of the game because before that it was a snoozer. That is the extent that we are going to talk about week 17 because we have a lot on our plate and we will get to that. I am joined by Akash. Akash, what's going on, man?
1: Just like the 49ers who fled Arizona to come home to the Bay Area, I fled the Bay Area to come back home to Seattle. So, uh, both of you know, the team and I, we were out for like the month, so we're glad to be back. And, uh, yeah, man, glad the season's over. It has been a grind. Um, you could probably, you know, attest to this the team has been just a roller coaster and combine that with Corona and how, you know, media access and all that kind of stuff works. It's just been a crazy season and I'm just thankful it's over.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be nice to kind of take a little, not so much take a break, but not have that daily every day. But again, The offseason is on deck. We're right around the corner. So now free agency, draft, that'll be fun because the rumor mill is going to be out of control, um, especially once the combine hits. Monday, slow news day. Nothing really happened. Uh, I lied. A lot happened. And we are going to talk about something that happened on 49ers Twitter, which is very important. Uh, There was a writer who spoke to a blogger and that blogger replied to the writer and had some words and they had a back and forth. Akash, what was your takeaway from this Twitter spat?
1: Yeah, let's uh, let's look at like the advanced analytics of this <laughs> yes. back and forth and uh, break it down. I mean, it's whatever, it's Twitter, it's not that serious. It is what it is at the end of the day. I'm, you know, just a big believer of just treat people the right way. Don't look down upon people. Don't be condescending. Um, You know, just try to make it as, you know, positive an environment as possible, which is difficult on social media as it is. And it was just kind of unnecessary. And, you know, the other thing I think is just the way media is trending, you know, in 2020, there's just so many different platforms, podcasts, videos, YouTube, live shows, articles, just whatever you want to do. There's an avenue for everybody to participate And just don't, you know, just don't look down on anybody, regardless of what your job title is or what you actually do or what you contribute. Um, Yeah, just just be more uplifting to that writer is what I would say, Um, especially when to you who gets basically the same access that he does, you know, sitting in all these Zoom calls, going to practice, going to games, all that kind of stuff. So just just did not make sense. Pissed me off, whatever. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's Just Twitter. No biggie. We move on. We rise above. Exactly. And that's why, you know, we're not going to spend much
0: time on it. That's why by Monday night, I was already over it. I'm sure the writer was as well. Nobody really cares. Nobody holds on to things on Twitter. It is Twitter. And as you said, I feel like my two cents on this is when you accuse somebody of lifting work and only lifting work. You cannot dictate how they respond and you certainly cannot play the victim and kind of twist the narrative when you do respond. That is it. I am going to ask the writer to come on this podcast very soon and not to like argue because we're talking about football. We're talking about a sport. We're talking about a game just to get his take on the team that we both cover. That is all. So what kind of led to that little spat was there was a question that Jimmy Garoppolo was asked. Jimmy Garoppolo did not answer the question. And from that, I just was wondering why, like, why did nobody talk about that? What Jimmy Garoppolo was asked was, was there any sort of reassurance whether essentially whether you're coming back from Jimmy, uh, sorry, from John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, Kyle, Juszczyk, who also spoke on Monday said he had that reassurance. Garoppolo who to be fair is under contract did not, say that he received that reassurance, didn't even answer the question. I actually asked Jimmy a question as well. You know, how much did your ankle have to do with your play this season skated right by that bad boy as well. So Jimmy, that's probably just him being, you know, the Patriot guy, the uh, he's not going to give us any information. And that's what he's been like all, 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 you know, dating back to 2019. He's just not a soundbite guy. So that's not what I was concerned about at all. Like I'm not trying to, you know, get retweets or, you know, get, Um, any sort of social media clout. I just want the truth and I want fans to know the truth. So in the event that whatever happens in March, uh, April, May, whenever it happens, if the team does move on from Jim Garoppolo, we're not surprised. And that's what I, that's why in the Patriots game, I'm tweeting, you know, clips of him missing receivers. That's not because I dislike him. That's because, if something happens, you will know why, like there's always a, why earlier in the season, I'm tweeting, Hey, Kevin Givens, man, he's bone. He's, he's just watch out for this name. And as you saw later in the season, he starts to pick up his, his snap. So um, there's always a why. And that's the only reason that I, you know, that, that I want to do this. So um, do what was your takeaway of Jimmy's quote unquote, non-answer and, you know, Shanahan kind of backed him up. So yeah, just tell me your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. So first l- let me touch on the, you know, the out of context uh, quotes that, you know, are on 49ers Twitter, right? So Kyle and I, um, you know, we sit in on these press conferences and in 2020 with Corona, they've all been on Zoom. So, you know, both of us don't live in Santa Clara, but we've been able to attend all of these because they're virtual. So we listen to basically every word that comes out of these guys mouth and what the question is, what the tone is and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what you see on 49ers Twitter is a certain sentence or something that'll catch attention or the main gist of what was being said, right? And, you know, if you just go based solely off of that and you make your opinions on that, you don't get the full picture because you're just not listening to the entire thing, right? And it's not, you know, the consumer's fault or the reader's fault. It's just that if you just read through the tweets, like that's what they are, that's just what Twitter is, right? It's just a bunch of headlines. Um, and so Kyle and I both provided some context yesterday. Um, and if and I felt like we were the only two that did that, that it attended it, at least I thought. And basically our takeaway from Jimmy Garoppolo's press conference was he wasn't really given any reassurance that he was going to be back with this team. He kind of went out of his way to kind of play the media game, right? how I felt listening to him was that he made a clear point to say, Hey, I came back early from the first injury. I played hurt. I was there for my teammates. I was extra tough, whatever. And he also made a point, you know, about how he loves being here, how he's the, you know, how he's a quarterback. Um, He wants to be 49ers. You know, he loves his teammate, all that kind of stuff. And to me, it just kind of felt like he was setting up kind of whatever happens this off season, he can kind of fall back on, you know, I did whatever I could, you know, see how the team, you know, dealt with me or whatever they end up doing with him. He kind of has that like, you know, uh, background. It was kind of like the PR game. It felt like, um, you know, listening to him and he skated by some direct questions, whether it was, Hey, do you have reassurance you're coming back? You know, um, how much did the ankle injury affect your game? Like he, he didn't really answer those. So that was my takeaway but that's not the stuff you were seeing. And so we were just trying to provide some context to that. That was all um, I have to say about his, you know, presser.
0: Yeah. Context is key, man. You have to have context when you're talking about this and all, all the time, all we see is Jimmy's going to be our guy. Like, of course he's going to be your guy. And there's always questions. There's always rebuttals to the, what else is he going to say? And I don't think it's going, I don't think it's asking much for context. So Enough of that, Kyle Juschak also spoke. He got a little emotional and he, he almost made it sound seem like he's unsure of his future. And I'm and I'm sure he, like every other unrestricted free agent, has had talks with the front office. As I mentioned, Kyle and John said that they want him back. And we've spoken about how Juice has played this season and it it hasn't been great. But then you have the whole locker room and what he brings to that to just to the roster so for example Brandon Ayut spoke on Monday and he said Juice was one of two players the other one was Jordan Matthews to kind of give him advice on how to take care of his body so he's that veteran presence in the locker room that isn't really on the 49ers roster as far as the offense goes and probably you could argue the defensive side as well so he has that whole mentality going on. And I'm sure there are so many other parts to his game that we just have no idea, or sorry, not so much his game, but what he brings to the team off the field. So uh, what do you, what did you, what was your takeaway from watching juice speak? Because I mean, he spoke for a while and it's clear that, you know, he just, with what he brings that he there's value that we just can't calculate
1: yeah, man. I mean, listening to him, you kind of felt the human element of the game. Like more often than not, we always throw out these hypotheticals, like, you know, this guy's not going to be back or, the, you know, the Fortnite's is going to have this player, free agency, all this kind of stuff. And you forget that, you know, these guys have families. And then Kyle Juszczyk, you know, uh, in his story, he's got uh, a young wife and they're trying to start a family and he's trying to figure out where to settle down. And, you know, I think he's about to be 30, he's 29. And so you, for- you forget that there's like a human element to all of this outside of just, you know, watching the tape and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we've been, we've been hard on Kyle you cause we've seen how he's played the past few seasons and what he brings um, especially in the run game. And that just hasn't been there this year for whatever reason. Um, and you know, the, the fullback market and he kind of hit on this. It's not as lucrative as some of the other positions, right? Cause it's a position, you know, it's a luxury position that not, every offense uses so his market is smaller than you know like a left tackle or something like that so he hit on that um he knows the deal i'm sure he wants to be back and i'm sure you know kyle and john also want him back but again it's a numbers game and can they figure out a way with a shrinking salary cap and you know all the other free agents that they have to bring him back like i think it's just gonna be a numbers game at the end of the day i think both sides like want to make it work but i'm not sure if they will and you kind of sense that emotion from him um as as you listen to him and, and you watch him up there
0: yeah he's kind of reliving memories in his head almost and kind of speaking out loud about them i wonder what that number of the team will have i wonder if it's just a hard number and hey man this is what we can do with everything that we have going on right now so uh, and with with a guy like juice it's probably not going to be take it or leave it but again, with where they are right now, it's it's not going to be – there's not going to be much flexibility for a fullback, even if it is a guy who brings as much value off the field as Juice does compared to on the field. So another person that got emotional was George Kittle, who was talking about his pal, college buddy, uh, C.J. Beathard. And first off, George, as, is the, as the rest of the 49ers, he just seems – fed up with talking about Jimmy Garoppolo he, he said that I'm tired of the Jimmy questions he said I've never spoken so much about another player in my life which is true and we're gonna have probably two and maybe one and a half months of no Jimmy questions unless you know Kyle and John Lynch speak at the combine but he got a little emotional about CJ Beathard because Beathard is an unrestricted free agent 49ers I don't know are they going to they're probably going to keep three quarterbacks definitely now with injuries next year. Right. Like, I don't, what do you think about that?
1: So uh, you're probably the better person to answer this, but I think, you know, Kyle has four quarterbacks going into training camp usually. And then he has carried three on his roster for as long as I can remember. Right. Yeah. So that you want a camp arm. So that's right. For sure. True. So I, if that's the case, you know, bethard has been with, Kyle Shanahan's, you know, since he's got here, uh, he was his first quarterback pick. And again, I think it's one of those numbers thing, right? Could he be the third quarterback on this team behind like a Josh Rosen, like potentially or a Jimmy Garoppolo maybe. Um, But again, I think it's a numbers thing. And I think George, again, he realized the weight of the moment realizing that, Hey, like Bethard may not be back and it's not, you know, in his control. So that's a guy he's been with since Iowa for as long as what, Seven years, maybe six years, something like that. So it's always tough when you lose a teammate and a friend like that. um Yeah, a, a lot of guys getting emotional at the podium yesterday. It was kind of hard to see for sure. Yeah, so they've played together for the past nine
0: years. They've been Longer teammates than that whoa. Yeah, that is a long time to be teammates with somebody. So it's as you mentioned earlier, the human emotion is something that we do not talk about enough in football and that we do not um, just like when we're betting, for example, we, 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 don't factor in that human emotion. So it's kind of good to see, you know, we've seen Raheem Mostert get emotional all year. We see yeah. guys like Jeff Wilson, Jr. When he talks about his son, get emotional. Ayuk said, you know, having a newborn son, which he did in sept this past September is going to be added fuel and motivation for him. So it's hearing these guys just, yeah. talk about something besides football was good so one thing or in my opinion one of the most fascinating stories of this offseason is going to be where the 49ers go as far as the secondary because there are some very high quality safeties available and they're probably going to move on from Jaquisky Tart just because of his his history one of the big names is going to be Jason Verrett what they do with Jason Verrett PFFs Sam Monson tweeted that Jason Verrett played 800 of his 2,000 career snaps this season. So Jason Verrett is 29 years old. He was drafted, I believe, in 2014 out of TCU in the first round. Yep, Yep, that's right. 40% of his snaps came six or seven years later in one season. That is just absurd. But man, he's been, he was as good as it gets for the 49ers and they're going to have to make a decision and it's not going to be easy. And I imagine they have a hard number for him as well, because his injury history is going to play a part, but also what he did on the season matters as well, or what he did this past season against Deandre Hopkins against, um, no, even DK Metcalf, this this past game, he's very, very good. Brett said that he's going to factor in what the training staff did these past this past year with him and how the team took care of him. Brett actually went out of his way to say he did not agree with what the team shutting him down last year after his Steelers injury, but he also came out and said that the team was right. So he has a trust of the training staff and he knows that they know what to do with him. What do you think Brett's number will be? Like what is his market?
1: I would imagine his market is pretty big um, just cause he played really well this past season. Um, and he could be one of those guys that follows, you know, Robert Sala, wherever he ends up going. Um, and if you look at it from the player perspective, if you're Jason Verrett, I mean, this is your last chance to maybe splash and get a big contract. So he's looking to cash out right now, especially after the season he had, which I don't blame him for, um, you know, looking at it from a player's perspective, I never tell them to take like a hometown discount or whatever like that. I'm just like cash out, do what's best for you, do what's best for your family. Um, so I, I imagine I think you threw out the number before we started like two for 24, two years, 24 million with a bunch of money guaranteed. I would think, yeah, he's making somewhere between 10, $12 million a season. I think Richard Sherman was somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, you know, when he got his deal with San Francisco. So I could see something like that. I tweeted this out earlier. The one point I would make um, is if I were the 49ers, I would make it more of an incentive laden or a, you know, roster bonus laden deal where you can add money for per game roster bonuses. And if they're active that week, they cash a check for that. Um, like Jimmy Garoppolo, for instance, I think his per game roster bonus, was like 800,000. And I think they only paid him like, 200,000 or something like that this season. So I would encourage something like that so that in case he's not, you know, healthy or plain or whatever, at least the 49ers don't get screwed salary cap wise. Um, But, uh, you know, it would be good to have him back with all the corner pieces changing, but not sure if the 49ers just have the cap space to be able to do it.
0: Yeah. It's going to be tough. So that's why there's a, there's just a strong chance that it's probably a shorter deal with, Higher guaranteed money because he's going to get offered some good money this offseason yeah. by maybe not a winning team, but it, it'll be he'll have his fair share of suitors. And to throw some numbers out to give you an idea of how well Jason Verrett played this season, he allowed 5.9 yards per target. For comparison's sake, Xavier Howard ten interceptions, averaged 5.8. Tre'Davious White. all of those players are thought of as you know some of the better corners in the NFL and that's the name of the game don't give up yards he only gave up one touchdown in coverage all season so who man he was he was probably in my opinion the best cornerback that I've seen on the 49ers in a while I'm sure that other people I mean maybe there's another name that comes to mind but do, do you think he's worth the risk is the question
1: Depends on what the alternatives are. <laughs> right. True. Um, That's honestly what it comes down to, right? And kind of what that number that he set at is as well. Because um, up until a certain price, obviously it's worth worth the risk because of the upside. Because he could stay healthy for 16 games and he could get like a Pro Bowl level corner. Or he could totally, you know, get hurt, flame out. Because he only played, what, four snaps in 2019? So you have both sides of the coin. And the 49ers who were just burned by injuries this year, I'm sure a little scarred by it. So I'm sure they will be sensitive to it when it comes to um, just signing guys that have injury histories.
0: Yeah. And we're going to talk about what Kyle and John said about the injury histories. When you get to free agency a little bit later, Uh, let's, let's talk about Trent Williams, who I asked if he's going to take a discount and he, uh, he shut that down pretty good, but he also had an interesting quote where left tackles and how they do not hit the open markets, essentially everything that Williams said, it made it sound like he knows he's going to get paid. Here's, he said, it's been 11 years and I've been, it's been 11 years in the league. I haven't yet to see a left tackle go to the open market. I think it would be interesting to see what kind of value holds regardless. Like I said, I've always maintained the same thing. I like San Francisco. It's my number one destination. We'll see how things work out. And I mentioned how I asked him, you know, would you take maybe a discount that takes off two, 3 million because the 49ers have all these free agents and that might help bring somebody back. So he said, I don't know if discount might be the right word, but as far as the payout goes, you can compromise with that. You can defer. There are so many different ways to make a contract fit. It's not just the bottom line. I would never want to hinder the team to where we can't be who we think we can be or should be. When you get to guys in the front office, like Prague, they are very smart. They find ways to get things done. So real quick, speaking of numbers, Trent Williams, and this is per Sports Info Solutions, his blown block, blown block percentage was 1.3 this season. So he had 12 blown blocks on the year. Five of those came against the Dolphins. So he was essentially lights out for the majority of the year. Saints left tackle is why Tron Armstrong is widely believed to be, you know, the best left tackle in the game. He had a blown block rate of 1.6 this season. Brown's right guard, Wyatt Taylor is thought of as the best guard in the NFL. He had a blown block rate of 1.8. So, Trent Williams, man, dominant, all pro, just as good as you could imagine for a guy who didn't play in 2020. The question is, what are they going to give him and how are they going to structure it, Akash?
1: Yeah. So before we get into this contract, hot take, I think I'm going to vote for Trent Williams as my comeback player of the year over Alex Smith. Are you, or are you going Alex Smith?
0: I'm not going to go Alex Smith because I've seen Alex Smith play. And I know everything that he's gone through and I'm not taking that away, but we have to factor in how they played once they did. So it, I mean, it'd be a coin flip between it. It'd probably be Trent Williams, but I wouldn't rule Jason Verrett out either.
1: Uh, right right okay so we're on the same page like coming back from the injury is part of it but it's also how you play right and Trent Williams who came back from cancer and it was like a rare form of cancer and he had like a basically a tumor removed from his head um is like an all pro as good as he was before he got hurt type player um yeah. so yeah hot take but I guess we agree so we're good there Um, and then on Trent Williams, so some other left tackles, some guys you may have heard of, uh, Houston's Laramie Tunzel, his new deal averages about 22 million per year. And then David Bakhtiari, the green Bay Packers left tackle. Who's regarded as, you know, it's either him or, or Williams as, as the best in the league. He's making $23 million a year. Those guys are younger than Williams, but I would expect the floor to be, you know, $20 million per year for Williams. Um, and I would expect a shorter deal cause he's a little older. Um, the interesting thing and, you know, Kyle's question kind of led into this, Trent Williams may be willing to like fudge around the money. So like maybe his cap hit in 2021 is less, but he gets paid in the back end or something like that. He's not going to mess with his overall payout. Um, but he might structure his contract in such a way that it allows the 49ers some wiggle room and the cap to kind of go back, you know, in next year or whatever. So, I do think he's back. How do you not bring him back? He was probably the second best player on your team. He was, you know, healthy basically the entire year uh, up until the end with that elbow sprain. But when he was out there, he was fantastic. And it's a no brainer. It's one of the, it's like the George Kittle or Fred Warner, you know, it's these guys, you just find a way to make it happen. In my opinion, I think they will. What do you think he gets on the market?
0: Pretty much as he said, it's it's not so much that bottom line number because there's a strong chance that we see whether Williams makes eight million in 2021 and maybe 24, like something crazy in 2022. I imagine it's going to be something like that. So he's going to be paid like one of the five best left tackles in the NFL because he's one of the five best left tackles in the NFL. And you have to pay a premium for those players because they're not growing on trees. And we've seen Williams' value, not just in the running game, but in the passing game as well. And as I mentioned, like his blown block percentage is unreal. And most of those against Miami were just miscommunication. So uh, he just doesn't lose one-on-one, which you cannot say a lot for a lot of players in the NFL especially at left tackle going against the highest, you know, just the best athletes on the edge there. So I don't, I'm not sure what he'll get, but I imagine it'll be again, like a, like a maybe three year, uh, is it going to be like three year? It'll look three year, 63 something like that, where again, yeah. we're going to have to get the fine details of it, but he's coming back. And I, I just don't know how you can, you're going to obviously have the valuation part of it and come up with different ideas of maybe another left tackle, whether it's a rookie, whether it's in free agency. But those guys aren't available like that. So you have one, keep them in the building. They're not hitting the open market. Um, We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch selling the Bay Area, the possible coaches that the 49ers could lose this offseason and some 49ers free agents. All right, we are back, and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they set out about five minutes or so to to tell people, hey, the Bay Area is actually very nice. (laughs) Not pay attention to the cost of living because you are going to love the beautiful mornings here. They are so scenic. Lynch said it was raining here this morning, but it was still just so pretty driving through. I thought that was pretty hilarious. It was. It's, it's pretty clear that they were playing, you know, playing salesman. Uh, what, what were some of your takes just from that segment of when John and Kyle were speaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're no dummies. I think the public perception of the Bay Area, Santa Clara County, Northern California, whatever, is kind of at an all-time low, right? Typically, you think California, you think great weather, you think, um, you know, tech and just, uh, diverse and all that kind of stuff. But right now with what they've had to deal with the past few months, I mean, Santa Clara County, just, they kicked the team out like a month ago and that's the only team, you know, in the country that had to move, um, you know, because of of the COVID-19 related restrictions. Um, and then on top of that, that's like the COVID side of it. And then you factor in just the high cost of living, man. Like, yeah. yeah, these guys are making like one, two, three million million, um, you know, if you're a coach or uh, an executive or whatever, and obviously players make significantly more than that. But at the same time, you're getting taxed at an insanely high rate because uh, you're in that top 1% or whatever in California. So you're losing a lot of it too. And the 49ers brass, you know, Kyle and John, they're not stupid. They know. They're going to lose some coaches, whether it's Robert Sala, Michael Floor, Mike McDaniel, maybe Adam Peters, maybe Martin Mayhew, and they've got to backfill those positions, right? So now they're going to have to convince someone else from a different team to potentially come, you know, join the 49ers uh, and leave their current situation. So they're trying to sell the Bay Area. And I thought it was a great sales pitch of how beautiful the weather is and how great the fan base is and how nice the community is. And it was just, it was a total sales pitch and they're starting it right now, which is, it's just intelligent. And they did it pretty swiftly, I think. Um, but that was just my two cents on it. I don't know if it's going to impact people. Cause I'm not sure if like, if you're a prospective you know, coach or whatever, if, if that's what's going to sway you, but you know, to, to each their own, <laughs> especially someone that grew up in the Bay area, Um, yeah, there's there, you know, there's positives for it and there's negatives for it, but so we'll see if it worked.
0: (laughs) Right. That's a good question. We will see if it worked. And the reason that they made that
1: pitch is because
0: there is a strong possibility that the 49ers lose all three of their coordinators. So Robert Sala has been tied to four teams already. The chargers, the Jaguars, the Falcons, and who's the other team I'm missing the lions, of course. Lions. So if he does get hired as a head coach, LaFleur, who is the passing game coordinator for the 49ers, is probably going to be his OC. So, Salah was the be- Salah's best man at his wedding, was Packers head coach, um, Matt LaFleur, and Mike LaFleur being his brother. It makes sense that you know if the if the reports are true that their their family is just close or still as close to the Lafleur's family, that would be a no brainer to have Lafleur as his coordinator. And then Mike McDaniel's was reportedly tied to Raheem Mostert, who was also interviewed for the Jaguars and Falcons positions. So Mike Silver of the NFL Network reported that if Raheem Mor- Morris is hired, he would target Mike McDaniel's. My thought on those losing those two. So a hundred percent they deserve some of the credit and probably more than some of the credit for the 49ers success over the last two years because this season, 49ers fifth most explosive passing plays in the NFL, which is nuts to me considering how many times we've seen, you know, the backup quarterbacks miss open receivers. So that was pretty impressive. And the the success rate for the offensive running game this year was ranked 10th in the NFL, which, again, very impressive because of all the moving parts that they've had, all the injuries that they've had. And then, obviously, Salas speaks for himself. The 49ers finished, I believe, fifth in defensive DVOA and were eighth in EPA per play and ninth in defensive success rate. So top 10 defense despite trotting out essentially just backups for offensive line or defensive linemen. And one of the other people in the front office that the 49ers might lose. And actually too, because John Lynch said he expects to get requests for Martin Mayhew, but Adam Peters was tied to the Carolina Panthers as well as the Denver Broncos because John Elway said he is going to step down in that GM role. So he's going to need somebody. And who better than his college of scout, his director of college scouting who left the Broncos for the 49ers. But on Tuesday, Peter's name was left off of those lists. Um, Akash, I will throw it to you here. Do you think the 49ers lose all three coordinators and what are the odds that Peters remains in the Bay area this year?
1: Yeah. So we'll start with the offensive guys, Mike McDaniel and Michael floor. And I think those guys don't get enough credit and you hit on this. Um, and a lot of us fans and even some of the writers, we give Kyle Shanahan a lot of the credit for their success. And it makes sense. He's the head of the snake. He's the head coach. He's the offensive coordinator, whatever you want to call it. And he deserves it. But on Mondays and Tuesdays, when they're game planning for the opponent, it's Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur that are installing those game plans. Um, you know, contrary to popular belief, Kyle Shanahan has way more responsibility. Right? He's got media responsibilities. He's got to talk to you know the team doctors. He's got meetings with the personnel guys. He, as a head coach, you have way more responsibility than just scheming offense. And while he is the play caller and he has, you know, heavy involvement in the game plan, it's those two guys that do a lot of that. And those two guys have been with him for as long as I can remember. Um, And they've just, you know, there's a certain chemistry you have when you work with the same people. You understand each other better. You know, you know, how you work and all that kind of stuff. And there's going to be a transition period if both of those leave, both of those guys leave next season when kyle promotes other guys or brings in new guys or whatever there's going to be a transition period i'm not saying it's going to result in some drop-off or whatever but um there will be an impact felt it just won't i don't think it'll be seamless as many think um i do think michael floor is gone because i think robert saw is going to get a head coaching job i don't know where but i think la is gone and he deserves the opportunity funnily enough kyle and i ran into him earlier this year at a game and uh yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I, I think No, he'll...
0: let's talk about that. No chance. You are not getting away with saying that and just not saying that. So we were talking just briefly before uh, the 49ers kicked off against the Seahawks because the Packers were playing somebody and it was late in the game. So obviously he wants to watch his brother's game. And I, I looked up and was like, hey, those guys look familiar. Hey, what's your name? And he's like, I was like, aren't you the 49ers coordinator? And he looked at me and was like, I don't call shit. So that was hilarious because he wants to call plays. There's no doubt about it. And he's probably, he's going to finally have that opportunity. So that was just funny. It
1: probably doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, but I I just thought it was funny. funny. And now he's going to have the ability probably to call plays with Robert Sala. So good for him. If he gets the opportunity, I think he does Mike McDaniel. On the other hand, I think he'll be back. I don't, I don't think Raheem Morris gets a head coaching job, even if he deserves it, just because of the number of openings and the number of candidates that are out there. Um, you know, I have no doubt that one day Morris will be a head coach and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure if that's this year. So I think Mike McDaniel's back, which will be good because at least there's some continuity. He's the run game coordinator, um, and he's the guy behind all the crazy run schemes. And then on the defensive side, Robert Sol, I think it's like a lock that he's gone. I think we've known this for a while. It's just a matter of where. So those are the coaches. Then front office, Um, Adam Peters is big, man. You and I talk about it all the time. He is the head scout, like he is the brains behind the operation. And I feel like most fans realize that, but he's the guy that's on the road, scouting people, college players, whatever. And where he's, you know, he's a Belichick guy. He's been in new England. He's been in, in Denver, just high level guy who I think everyone has a lot of respect and admiration for. So that would be a major loss. But like you mentioned, his name was off the list for Carolina. He was supposed to interview there. Wasn't mentioned. He was supposed to interview for Denver, but he wasn't mentioned. It was like Champ Kelly and some other guys. So maybe you had to change of heart, whatever the case is. Hope he's back. But at the end of the day, and I mentioned this to you before we hit record, this is Kyle Shanahan's show, right? You could say, you know, John Lynch is GM. Adam Peters is vice president of player personnel. Parag is executive vice president, whatever. This is Kyle Shanahan's show, man. He, he's the guy who makes the most. He gets final roster say. He gets final 53 man say. All that kind of stuff. It's Kyle's show. So Adam Peters, regardless of what his role, is, is never going to have that control. Neither will John Lynch. So that's what it comes down to. And I hope he decides to say just for the 49ers sake.
0: Yeah, Kyle Shannon's going to be the one constant. So let's say Raheem Mostert does get a job and he hires Mike McDaniels. So now you're without McDaniels or LaFleur. And I'm glad you mentioned that McDaniels is putting all these crazy run schemes together because last December, I believe they were doing some things that I have never seen and it were, was killing people. So that matters. And as we mentioned, the explosive passing was still there this year. So LaFleur deserves credit for that, but we have one constant. I'm, i I use the chiefs Falcons game from a couple of weeks ago as an example. So Raheem Morris, was the one constant for the Falcons defense over the second half of the season or whenever Dan Quinn got fired and their defense finished, I believe, in like the top 10, 11-ish, wherever they were. When they held the Chiefs to 17 points, when they limited them to two red zone drives, after the game, he credited Bob Sutton, who was the defensive coordinator for the previous few years, who now serves as a senior assistant on the Falcons. So everybody gets credit, but there's always one constant. Next year, if Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy Kyle Shanahan is calling plays. The 49ers offense is going to be fine, no matter who their run or pass game coordinators are. Like that's just the bottom line. Those guys absolutely deserve credit, but Kyle Shanahan is still calling the show. And that's probably, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say the results will be the same. The process may be different. And the process most people don't see. So to the fan, it's probably going to be just fine.
0: Yeah, there might be, you know, fewer screens. There might be more play action. Who knows? But the bottom line is the 49ers are going to score points as long as they have a healthy quarterback and Kyle Shanahan calling plays. And before, we're going to end on this. So Shanahan said that he's not going to cross off anyone's name on the injury hit. He's not going to cross their names off If they have an injury history as the 49ers get into free agency, but he acknowledged that the risk and reward will be factored in compared to you know the past couple seasons because they've had some brutal injury luck on free agents. So they're big ones. D4, or they traded for D4, so that's not technically a free agent, but they took a risk on him and knowing that he has an injury history of you know staying healthy every other season. Weston Richburg had an injury history and he, that has come back to bite them as well. And to an extent, you know, Richard Sherman to 2018, he had an injury history and that came back to hit them as well this year. So, and there are, you know, a couple other examples, but moving forward, that's going to be a factor. Do you think that the 49ers sign anybody with an injury history? How much will they factor that in? Do you think?
1: Depends on the injury, of course. Um, every case is different. It's hard to like lump all that stuff in, but it will play a factor, I think. And that's the beauty of the NFL, right? There's so much roster turno- turnover every year. There's a hard salary cap. So teams are forced to take risks on good players who have injury histories to try to get them at a lower cap number or whatever the case. And, if it, and you know for the good teams, it pans out more often than not. And for the bad teams, it doesn't work out. And that's why they're, they're consist- consistently bad, right? So there's a luck element in, that's involved. And like Kyle mentioned, you know, uh, with players like D. Ford, you might not make the super bowl without D Ford, but it's a bad move in the big picture. Cause he's sucking a large part of your cap and he's just not playing as much. Right. But with players like Jason Verrett, it has paid off, uh, where he's, he was a valuable contributor this season. And so they've consistently done that. You know, they've got, they've got guys like Jalen Hurd who will be coming back after two major injuries. Like, d- does he become a valuable contributor? So it's that risk reward thing and it, you just got to take it, you know, case by case but I feel like we'll continue to see some of those where you'll be like, Ooh, man, that's a risk. And sometimes you just got to roll the dice when you're in these tight situations where you've got a low amount of salary cap space left and you've got to fill a need. Sometimes you got to go about it that way.
0: Absolutely. And I, I don't mind taking risks. I think you have to be the aggressor. And they kind of yeah. talked about that Lynch and Shanahan, where this is a business and you have to take risks to be successful. So, uh, none of those, like I feel I would do the D4 trade over again, no, no I would questions too. asked. And I, I, I know it's easy to say you wouldn't in hindsight, based on how it worked out. Um, uh, I'd probably do the Quan Alexander deal as well, just knowing what he could have been or what he was and what he brought to the table as far as energy and I still think to this day man if if he's not here we don't see this version of Fred Warner because he just transformed it to a completely new player
1: yeah we preach process over results especially when it comes to players performance we talked about that earlier with Garoppolo and that's the same thing in the front office right like the move to go for you know, trade for D Ford and bring in a speed rusher opposite of Nick Bosa. Like that's the right process. It just, the results in hindsight didn't necessarily work out the way you would have hoped, but that's the right process. And so consistently, if you just hammer home the right process, more often than not, those moves will work in your favor. So I, I agree with you in hindsight, I'd go back and do that, even if it didn't work out in their favor entirely. So yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely see more of those, man, especially this offseason. I I just think this offseason is shaping up to be one of the more important 49er offseasons in recent memory. It's going to be just crazy, given how much roster turnover there will be. And, you know, the cap space and the draft picks and all that kind of stuff. It's just such a pivotal moment for this franchise. And uh, these next few months are just going to be fun as hell.
0: It really will be. They're going to have to make so many decisions. And while we keep talking about the quarterback, are they going to invest heavily again on the interior offensive line? Yeah. Are they going to, you know, pay another receiver? Are they going to spend big in free agency in the secondary, whether that's safety, whether that's cornerback, who do they let walk is juice bad. There are so many different parts, moving parts to this offseason, and they're probably going to be moving parts that are connected to each other as well. So I uh, cannot wait to get there. Cannot wait to see it. So 49ers six and 10 team. They are, Josh Dubow from the AP tweeted this out, the 49ers have 109 turnovers in four seasons under Kyle Shannon. Only the Bucks, courtesy of Jameis Winston, have more in that span than the Niners. So what we've learned, especially this season, if you take care of the ball, you will win. C.J. Beathard did not have to do much in the Arizona game week 16, and the 49ers won. He turned the ball over and Nick, or we saw Nick Mullins turn the ball over and just how that crushed the 49ers season. Uh, it Sound like you had something to add in there?
1: Yeah, man. If, if you had to sum the season up in two words, it's giveaways and injuries. And if, they, if you take away one of those, this team's probably in the playoffs and we're probably talking about like a playoff matchup today. And unfortunately, they gave the ball away too much. I think they ended with a minus 11 turnover differential, which was second worst in the NFL behind Denver. And obviously they had the most injuries in the league. And so that's, you know, why they're watching the playoffs from home. And we're doing the offseason recap this week. But yeah, I would just say as as a, if you're a fan watching this team, you know, you have a good coaching staff, you know what they can get out of the players. Just got to hope that this team stays healthy and uh, they get a little bit of, you know, little better execution out of their offense. They'd be, you know, right in the mix.
0: Six and ten team finished 11th in DVOA. The Athletics' Dave Lombardi tweeted that. And Football Outsiders founder Aaron Schatz responded that the 49ers finished the highest six and ten team in DVOA since the 1990 San Diego Chargers. So, man, if we just know the talent that's on this roster, stay healthy, figure out what in the world is causing so many injuries this offseason bring back your core players, Get. win a lot of games next year. It's, it seems simple, but that's going to be the process. Get
1: Kyrie Irving to Sage Levi Stadium, maybe. For some contacts, go look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. We appreciate you guys for listening to the Shanna plan throughout the season, and we will continue to talk. Um, we'll continue to have our weekly podcast over the offseason. The NFL truly has turned into a year-long sport, And even now we'll have, you know, coaching hires and, you know, front office hires and all that kind of stuff to talk about. Then it'll roll right into the combine and owners meetings and then free agency. And it's just nonstop, man. And we'll be here to talk through all of it. Um, as usual, uh, you can find me on Twitter at a K A S H A N A V Kyle Posey. Where can they find you? They can find me at
0: KP underscore show. Again, please rate, subscribe, review, give us five stars Happy New Year to everybody. It's going to be a fun off season. Stay tuned and buckle up.